father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Welcome to What's Lightsabers Precious, the Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast, where we waste time on fictional wikis. My name is Ryan. And my name is Joanna, and boy do I have some Lord of the Rings news for you. Give me the scoop. The Shawshank Redemption was voted greatest film of the last 30 years. Wait. Isn't that great Lord of the Rings news? I mean, Shawshank. The Shawshank Redemption. Greatest film. Of the films that came out in the last 30 years, the greatest is the Shawshank Redemption. I think they mistyped. I think they meant the Longshanks Redemption. <laughs> Maybe. Although they do have a picture of Morgan Freeman here, so somehow I doubt yeah, it. Yeah, Longshanks. Longshanks. <laughs> That's what they call Morgan Freeman. Oh, Longshanks. So I don't know why this is under the Lord of the Rings category at our favorite crappy news site, mirror.co.uk. But it is. But the real news, actually, is that Lord of the Rings is coming to Netflix at last this November. November 1st. That's already out. Well, that's on UK Netflix. So the US one, who knows? This is a UK site, so those are the two items of Lord of the Rings news I have. Lord of the Rings comes to Netflix UK, and The Shawshank Redemption was the greatest film of the past three decades. Yeah, if you're like a British listener, like oh, you you cheeky blighters, you ain't never seen Lord of the Rings, but you have Netflix. Get on that, you wanker. That was uncanny. You'll be chuffed as chips to watch Lord of the Wings in its full form on bloody Netflix. In it? You sound kind of like James from James and the Giant Peach if he was just like cursing a lot. My name is James. That's what Marva called me. I can watch Lord of the Wings on Netflix. <laughs> wow, your meter was flawless there. Thank you. Excellent. All right, so that's my news. What news you got? The big news this week in Star Wars World is they've released the theme song to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. That is, yes, this, <laughs> okay. is, this is the, the Disney World, Star Wars World, now has a John Williams theme song. They wrote specifically for the theme park. Oh, wow. Okay, so I wasn't sure what Galaxy's Edge was yes, at first. Yes, so this, this is the Disney theme park. Yes, I, I can play a brief snippet of it if you'd like to yeah, hear. Yeah, sure, fire it up. Killing it with that French horn. He's got his hand all up in it. He's waggling around like French hornesses yeah. do. They're doing a pan over of the land in progress, and it's really big, actually. Like, holy I'm, cannoli! I was surprised watching it how big the the, the Star Wars land's going to be. When does this open? Uh, and uh, summer summer 2019. So okay, so next summer. Next summer, it's going to open, and I presume you're going to be hearing this song on repeat as you walk around. Well, there's going to be more songs in the works that John Williams is, is writing and pr- getting an orchestra to perform, which is pretty neat. I mean, it sounds like a Star War. It sounds basically like a Star War, like a war in the stars. Yeah, like a space operatic sort of feel to it. And the architecture they built so far looks pretty neat. So, fingers crossed that it's cool. I'm sure it will be. Are we going to go? Are we going to podcast live from the Star Wars uh, land? If you support us on our Patreon. 
the uh, Patreon that we don't have. That we'll make before summer 2019. If you 2019. start a Patreon on our behalf, because we are too lazy to start it ourselves, and you all donate at least, pff, I mean, upwards of $15,000, then we will broadcast live from galaxy's edge also it's not gonna happen but (laughs) we'll get there eventually joanna so it is a week of of giving thanks it's a week of reflection on our past year a week of of the harvest so what what kind of bountiful knowledge have you harvested this week for your the lord of the rings segment of our podcast well you're about to find out but first what are you thankful for this year I'm thankful that I have a podcast I've been doing every week for one year. Almost every week. Almost every week for one year. I am thankful. So, um, when I was a sophomore in high school. Yes. I was being, feeling really salty towards my dad on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. And at Thanksgiving dinner, he asked us all to say what we were thankful for. And my dad is very, how can I say? Like, the answers he wanted were like, Family, my dad, all the things my dad gives me and Jesus provides. So me being a salty teen, I said, Lord of the Rings, and my dad got really mad. But that was not false. You were actually thankful for Lord of the Rings. I was extremely thankful. It was like my whole life at that time. So it was an honest answer that my dad did not want to hear. He couldn't handle the truth. He was too weak to handle how much Lord of the Rings meant to me. Was he like, you know, Joanna, you know who the first Lord of the Rings was? (laughs) Jesus. Jesus. What rings? What rings was Jesus Lord of? His disciples. Oh, like his ring of friends. Yes. His nakama. His nakama. <laughs> Jesus Christ, his <laughs> holy nakama. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about some harvest festivals. All right. But neat. because details are kind of scarce, it's going to be more of a general fall festivals okay. for multiple races in Lord of the Rings. And then also we're going to talk about what they might have eaten. Ooh, nice. So the first one I want to talk about is Yaviera. So this would have fallen on the 21st of September on a modern calendar. So kind of like solstice, right? Yeah. It was used as part of the steward's reckoning in Gondor and Arnor between the Third Age 2060 and the Third Age 3019. And basically until the Fourth Age started. So the meaning of Yaviare was literally fruit day. So like the fruits of the harvest. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, it does sound nice. A fruit day? Ever a heard? fruit day. We was in elementary school once in a while. We had apple day. You're talking about apple day, well, which was that. apparently your favorite day. Oh, it was the best. You adored apple day. So the harvest feast of the steward's reckoning of Gondor uh, that lay between the months of Yavanie and Narquelie. So we discussed before with, the, like, for example, the Hobbit Yule. Yeah. A lot of times these harvest fests, they'd fall in between two months. They wouldn't be part of one month or another. Okay. As I said, this day was part of the Gondorian calendar used during the later Third Age. And so this is kind of a digression, and I'm sorry for people who are bored by calendar stuff, but Tolkien would want me to talk about it. Get your calendars out, boys. We're taking notes. This is what Tolkien would want. All right. So the steward's reckoning was introduced by Mardil Varanwe, and he was the first steward of Gondor. Okay. So the line of kings ended, and then the stewards took over, and the first one revised the calendar. Previous to that, they had been using the Numenorean calendar, mm. which had been used from year one of the Second Age in Numenor. And it had, like our year, 365 days divided into 12 months, which 10 had 30 days and 2 had 31. How convenient. So, like, fairly similar to ours. And then even after the fall of Sauron at the end of the Second Age, the old calendar was kept up by the Numenorians who escaped to Middle-earth. So the men oh, okay. of Arnor, the men of Gondor. However... Hold on. Hold the phone real quick. Yes. That's 362 days. 365, I said. 10 months of 30 days. Uh-huh. That's 300 days. Yes. 2 months of 31. 
Oh, but you have to remember that they had feast days that were outside those months. Oh, they didn't count. That did not count as oh. one month or the other. So that's where that's coming from. Math. So when the when the age changed from the second to the third, they tried to maintain the old calendar, but there was a an error that this introduced that the designers had not foreseen. So we have leap years, right? Yes. Because over time, our days, like, they get kind of off from the sun, our actual orbit around the sun. Okay, Right? Yes. So we, like, lose time and we have to add an extra day. They have this kind of same issue. So in the old Numenorean calendar, once every thousand years, they had to correct for a deficit of four hours, 46 minutes, and 40 seconds. Why Tolkien was this okay. precise, I, I don't know. But say. he was. And so we're just going to follow it to its Why? end point here. <laughs> so in Second Age 1000, Second Age 2000, and Second Age 3000, they would have to correct for this at four hours, 46 minutes, and 40 seconds. After the downfall of Sauron in 3319 of the Second Age, they maintained this system... However, the problem was that Second Age 3,442 became Third Age 1, and that dislocated the leap year Mm. by one year. The leap year should have been Third Age 3, but they did Third Age 4 instead because they wanted to keep it every 4. Okay. Because they're stupid. So then they were off. And there was a deficit of 5 hours, 48 minutes, and 46 oh my seconds. God, talking. <laughs> I know. So to reduce this error, Mardiel the Stewart issued a revised calendar to take effect in Third Age 2060. Oh my god, dude. Interesting, like, right? Kind of. And that's a guy making up numbers out of his ass. And just <gasps> I mean, did he actually have to calculate these things? That's what I want to know. Because I couldn't have. Hey, Neil deGrasse Tyson, if you're listening, let us know if his math is right. Also, was the orbit of the Earth precisely the same as the length of our orbit now? Back then? Because this was supposed to be like 10,000 plus years ago. And we're getting, you know, marginally further away from the sun all the time, Because right? the Earth is expanding until we eventually all are killed from the heat death of the universe. Right. So, was it even the same? I don't know. How did he calculate this? How did you do it, Tolkien? What's your secret? All right. Well, anyway, do you remember how we were saying that he put the Yule Festival on December 25th, but actually with, like, the way the cat, the, um, the way it's changed since Roman times, it would actually be, like, December 21st or something like that? Right, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, it's similar to that. He didn't want to get that involved, which is surprising because he was a man who got involved in just about everything. Yeah. Wow. All right. As a weird aside, this is really this weird. Is an, oh, that wasn't an aside. This, is, a, this is an aside of an aside. <laughs> that was a topic. Okay. okay, so according to this guy called Jim Allen, who wrote a book called An Introduction to Elvish, the Numenorean calendar is similar to the calendar used during the French Revolution. <laughs> Oh. I don't know why. Well, maybe that's where he got his inspiration from. With the, the whole French uh, Revolution. He doesn't seem like a French Revolution guy. Well, so for example, like the name of the third month of winter in the Steward's Reckoning is Sulime. Yeah. And in the French Revolution calendar, it was Ventose. And don't at me about that. I can't pronounce French. I'm sorry. Both of which mean windy. And if you line them up, most of the month names have like matching or similar meanings. I don't know why. I don't know what we're supposed to conclude from that. But there it is. There you have it. La vive token. Yes. So, during the reign of Aragorn, the calendar was reordered to commemorate the fall of Sauron on March 25th. So the date the year started changed. Okay. That's confusing. And also, September 22nd, Frodo's birthday was made a festival and the leap year was provided for by doubling this feast called Mare or Ring Day. Oh, so every wow. re- leap year, you would get this extra day called Ring Day. And that was because of Frodo? Because of Frodo. So the revised calendar that was introduced by Mardiel, going back to that, was adopted eventually by most users of Westron. 
except for hobbits, because hobbits gotta be different. They gotta have their own calendar. They gotta be different. So, in Brie, this month was called Harvest Meth. Harvestmouth. Harvestmouth, which is approximately equivalent to modern September. It runs from about 23rd of August to the 21st of September on a modern calendar. And so this was used by both the men and the hobbits of Bree, because you remember they lived alongside yes, each other. Yes, yes, yes. In the Shire itself, it was called Halimath, which also corresponds to the modern September. It actually comes from Old English, because that was what was used to represent the native language of the Brelanders, mm-hmm. and translates as Harvestmouth, as you might have guessed. All right. Harvestmouth. Yeah. And this was the time of year when the harvest was taken in and celebrated. Now, another aside. So I just mentioned that the men of Gondor celebrated March 25th and September 22nd as holidays after the fall of Sauron. Mm -hmm. But there's no record of the Shire folk doing that. Huh. Even though Frodo himself was a hobbit, they didn't seem to have celebrated it. Yeah, he's their hometown boy. They should be the ones doing it the most. Uh, You would think hometown hero, but they didn't concern themselves with such things. They just thought he was kind of a strange guy. So in the West Farthing, though, especially around Hobbiton Hill, there was a custom of making holiday and dancing in the party field. And that was on April 6th. And some said it was old Sam Gardner's birthday. Some said it was the day on which the golden tree first flowered in 1420, which we haven't talked about yet, so don't worry about it. And some that it was the elves' new year. They didn't really know what they were dancing for, but since it's close to March 25th, we can assume it probably came from that. Gotcha. We talked about men. We talked about hobbits. Let's talk about dwarves. Dwarf. I couldn't find any reference to a dwarvish harvest festival. They don't really harvest much, do they? They harvest rocks. Okay. Presumably they had farmers. Otherwise, they I guess if they dug up enough gems, they could just buy food from elsewhere. That's what I was thinking. Or maybe they grow a lot like potatoes, like underground stuff. Actually, it's interesting you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, but you'll find out at the very end of this episode. Oh, all right, so, all right. The only allusion to a calendar at all in terms of the dwarves, is the Dwarvish New Year or Durin's Day. I included this, even though it's a New Year celebration, because it fell approximately in October, November. Okay. We don't exactly know. It changed every year. It's like Easter. They have like some complicated astronomical calculation to figure it out. And Durin comes and leaves eggs everywhere. <laughs> yeah, he does. Durin comes and leaves eggs, and then he dies on the crossbar sins. So, but we do know that in Third Age... 2,994, when Balin had refounded Moria, Mm -hmm. and he was looking for Durin's crown, he chose the date of November 10th to conduct that search. And so we think that that was Durin's day that year. So he just passed Durin's day not that long ago. It was like a week ago. Uh, Well, it changes so much every year. Basically, it is the last moon of autumn on the threshold of winter. According to astronomer Bradley E. Schaefer... As with all real-world lunar calendars, the date of Durin's Day is observational, and it's depending on the visibility of the first waxing crescent moon. Is there someone online that keeps track of the Durin's Day every year? I wonder. I don't think look, so. Look up Durin's Day 2019. Right, or 2018, I mean. Let's look it up. So according to this, part of the problem with establishing Durin's Day is that it depends on two totally unrelated planetary cycles. So it's dependent on both the Earth's annual trip around the sun and the monthly lunar cycle. So the Earth travels around the sun in 365 days and the moon travels around the Earth in 29.5 days, but there's no predictable relationship between the two. So some years have more lunar months than others, and the beginnings and the ends of the lunar months don't match up with the solstices and equinoxes at all. So it's ludicrously complicated to try determine when Durin's Day is. So in terms of when it would fall this year, October 9th. Oh, all right. This says October 9th. Um, so we missed it by a mile. Encyclopedia of Arda. 
Yes, Encyclopedia of so, Arda says uh, October 9th, 2018 was Durin's day. Yeah, most of these are in October. It looks like next year it's the 29th of October. So all right, so start preparing now. Get hype for Durin's start day. Start stocking up on all those Durin's day decorations. And in a minute, I'll tell you what you should eat on Durin's day. Durin eggs. For you. <laughs> Doran, did you lay this egg? <laughs> All right. So let's talk about what they would have eaten at these uh, feasts. Can I do an intro to this part? Oh, yes. Let's get hungry. <laughs> that was immensely off-putting. So what did elves eat? So Tolkien actually gave pretty scant details about food. He's no Brian Jacques. He's not writing food porn. Oh, tell me about those. these foods that you've never oh. eaten, and, but suddenly you want them. Oh, I want I want some of those little raspberry tarts with, with honey glaze on them and and some... Uh, current uh, jam. You know, ooh, current cr- jam. I don't know what currants are. Mm, and, and some... some some berry mead. Mm. And you'll be eating them all alongside um, mice and stoats. Not stoats, because stoats were evil. But you Badgers, know, badgers and rabbits, rabbits. Moles who were impossible to read. Wow, you remember that? Remember their voices? He'd always write them out phonetically. Yeah. And always be- <gasps> That's right! It was so hard! The moles were always hard to read. I had to read it out loud. Yeah, same, oh my same. god. Anyway, putting brain jokes aside. <laughs> read Redwall, they're good. So... This is what we know textually about what elves would have eaten. So the first thing is that in the Fellowship of the Ring, Gildor, remember Gildor? Yes. Frodo and the other hobbits met him on the way out of the Shire. Mm-hmm. So his travel provisions, we know he had bread, fruit, and a drink of some sort. So they intook fluids. Ooh. Uh, that's good to know. Can you imagine an elf peeing? Yeah, <laughs> Do you think it would like tinkle merrily you as know it fell? I think it would make it sparkly. I don't think they would pee that much. I think elves are so like perfect in their form that they would use most of the resources put into them. It would just like absorb all it of it. Absorb 100%. all of it. And they would sometimes let off some like residual sparkles. I'm imagining the pee just like shooting out of their pores in a sparkly oh, cloud. And it twinkles and tinkles in the air and it makes a beautiful noise and that's how babies are born. Do you think that's why Edward Cullen sparkled? Do you think he was doing that? Because if you watch those movies, you never see Edward Cullen pee. True, true. And you see Bella pee in like every other scene. Every so. other scene, Bella's like, I gotta go. So they're establishing that humans pee, vampires don't. <laughs> they sparkle. They put a lot of work into establishing that fact. Yeah. That's disgusting. So here's the quote. Pippin afterwards recalled little of either food or drink, for his mind was filled with the light upon the elf faces and the sound of voices so various and so beautiful that he felt an awaking dream. But he remembered that there was bread, surpassing the savor of a fair white loaf to one who is starving, and fruit sweet as wild berries and richer than the tended fruits of gardens. He drained a cup that was filled with a fragrant draft, cool as a clear fountain, golden as a summer afternoon. So that's the drink. We know it was fragrant. Mmm, what does it smell like? Good. Okay. <laughs> That's all we're told. It's golden. I'm imagining maybe... I'm imagining pee again. <laughs> it's elf piss. It's elf piss. They just cycle it back. They're not wasteful. They just cycle it back in their bodies. It's called urine therapy. You should look it up. Yeah, man. It's going to help us all live to like 190. Drinking your pee. So Gildor then called this poor fare, even though Pippin's waxing rhapsodic about it. From his description, it sounds like it was even better than good hobbit food, which is pretty good to start with. That's a pretty good compliment from a hobbit. Definitely. There's also some information from the lays of Balerion about what Thingol served. Remember Thingol? Thingol and Melian. And he served mead, wine, so multiple alcoholic beverages, and meat. Really? Just eat eat some meat and two types of alcohol. I always thought elves would be like vegetarians. We're actually going to get to that. Okay. So here's the quote. On a time was Turin at the table of Thingol. There was laughter long and the loud clamor of a countless company that quaffed the mead amid the wine of Dorwinian that went 
ungrudged in their golden goblets, and goodly meats there burdened the boards beneath the blazing torches. Can I share that I love the word quaffed? Quaffed? I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Like when you have a cool hairdo, like you know. it's a quaff, right? But yeah. it's but it looks like it's said coif. Coif. So now I'm thinking, is quaffed actually pronounced coiffed? Is it just reverse? Oh my god! Like no, no, I don't know. Only a linguist of Tolkien's caliber could use, solve that one. Use. The final bit of evidence here. So we know Feanor's sons hunted. Okay. Hunted animals, right? So it says, It came to pass when 300 years and 10 were gone since the Nuldor came to Beleriand in the days of the long peace that Felagun journeyed east of Syrian and went hunting with Maglor and Maedros, sons of Feanor. That's from the Silmarillion. And it seems unlikely that the elves would hunt and not at least eat the animal. It seems kind of wasteful. And there are many other instances of elves hunting throughout the Silmarillion. So while a lot of people tend to imagine elves as being vegetarian, and in fact there was like a joke in the Peter Jackson Hobbit movies oh, about how yeah. all vegetables. They're all eating salads. What is it supposed to meet? Yes. So that's actually inaccurate as oh. far as we know, because when there are vegetarian elves, Tolkien makes a special note of it, okay. which would indicate that they weren't all. So for example, there were these elves called the Green Elves of Osiriand, and they said... Uh, Men are hewers of trees and hunters of beasts. Therefore, we are their unfriends. First of all, unfriend is a great word. That's great. Yeah. That is a wonderful Tolkien word. Tolkien invented unfriending someone. <laughs> Nobody unfriended anyone before Tolkien. They're just on Facebook and they're like, all oh, these people I hate are on here. I wish there was some kind of button where I could be like friends with them, but like the opposite of that? What are these green elves doing over here? Oh, they're unfriending they're people. They're unfriending them. So they literally, if you post, you post a picture, be like, here's my barbecue from this weekend. And they're like, unfriend. You are not my friend anymore. Friendship ended. So the fact that he specifically mentions that someone's vegetarian, for example, the green elves, Bayorn, Baron, leads one to assume that the elves ate meat unless otherwise stated. Also, there was an elvish word for vegetarian. Oh. There was also an elvish word for food made from plants, food made from animals, and wild game, as well as specific words for cattle, sheep, goats, pigs, fowl, chickens, deer, boar, rabbit, goose, duck, fish, and so on, as well as salt meat. Can you imagine elves raising ducks? I don't know. Like, ducks seem so crass. They're such a silly like, animal. elves are so graceful, and I just... No offense to ducks, but y'all are crass. I love ducks, but they're super silly. Like, your voice is so, <laughs> like, rude. Can you imagine walking around riven down here? <laughs> I never... No, I don't want to imagine that. Did you know a duck's quack doesn't echo and no one knows why? Thanks, uh, email forward from 2001. I love <laughs> it. was it. even earlier than that. Dogs can't look up. Dogs can't look up. It's a true fact. Have you ever seen a dog look up? I don't think so. Okay, so... You ever in a cave with a duck? I don't think so. I don't think so. A cave with a duck. So duck. I know, but that was such a stretch. It's also true that ducks can't enter caves, and no one knows no. why. <laughs> Not to mention, the elves also seem to use animal skins, right? The company is offered them to sleep on in Lothlorien. Oh, okay. So where would they get the skins unless they were killing and eating animals, am I right? Also, in The Hobbit, Thorn and company stumbled across Thranduil and his folk feasting in the forest. This was not in the movies, but do you remember it from the book? Yeah, And yeah. every time they'd draw close, the fire would disappear and they'd scatter and yeah, it eventually it let them way off course. And these tricksy elves in the forest. Yeah. So it says, in the book, there was a fire in their midst and there were torches fastened to some of the trees round about. But most splendid sight of all, they were eating and drinking and laughing merrily. The smell of the roast meats was so enchanting. So... The king of the elves seems to have been dining amid his people. It's likely that he shared the same foods. Okay. So Thranduil and all his people almost certainly were eating meat. Now, what did hobbits eat? Everything. I mean, they ate a lot, right? So 
For all the eating, though, that they seem to do, the actual foods consumed are very seldom actually named. So we do get a sampling of what's on the menu at the Prancing Pony. So, for example, hot soup, cold meats, both very nonspecific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hot eats, cool <laughs> treats. Welcome to DQ. Hot soup, cool, cold meats. <laughs> yeah. A blackberry tart, new loaves of what? New I loaves. Know. New loaves. Especially <laughs> all the old ones he normally <laughs> serves. Slabs of butter and half a ripe cheese. Good plain food, as good as the Shire could grow. It's good simple food. Right. As for what they grew in the Shire, because they were agriculturalists. Yeah, they lost farms, right? Yep. Tolkien gave a small list of farm crops. So, for example, it says, The Shire had seldom seen so fair a summer or so rich an autumn with trees laden with apples. Okay. Apples are mentioned many times in association with the ho- with hobbits. Honey was dripping in the combs, mm. and the corn was tall and full. Now, this is interesting because corn came from the New World. Oops. So, maybe Tolkien slipped up. Of course, uh, he also let potatoes, tomatoes, and tobacco slip in there several thousand years ago. Yeah. But, however, actually the word corn is kind of an ancient word, and it was used for other grain crops. So, for example, Caesar spent a lot of time in Gaul trying to secure his corn supply, but it wasn't maize from the Americas. It was like wheat or something. Yeah, so it might have been some other grain. I like the bread, right? Yeah. And then at Rivendell, finally, we hear Bilbo compare hobbits and men to peas and apples. And peas were like a Neolithic food. They've been around for a long time. So we know that they grew and ate peas. That's a cute food for a cute little guy. Yeah. Can you imagine a hobbit eating a pea? It'd be like the size of his fist. It'd be like, ooh, yummy, yummy, yummy. I have to put this aside for later. Ooh, there's some left over. <laughs> no, not, not if you're a hobbit, there <laughs> wasn't. So what did men eat? So in Gondor, when Pippin was in the service of Denethor, he was treated to white cakes mm. and to bread, butter, cheese, and apples. If it weren't for the apples, all these people would be constipated as hell. Yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of, uh, Oh, the carbs. So the presence of butter and cheese implies that the Gondorians were raising cattle and or goats. And then later when Frodo and Sam were fed by Faramir, after they were captured by Faramir, he treated them to pale yellow wine and bread and butter and salted meats and dried fruits and good red cheese. Okay. I don't know enough about cheese to know why it would be red, but apparently this cheese was red. It's like the red wax on the outside of the cheese. Like a baby bell. Yeah. Faramir treated them to pale yellow wine and baby bell cheese. (laughs) Sounds like a classy joint. Yeah. Faramir also gave them dried fruits and salted meats. And then Sam also is said to pull out, quote, a small slip of cured meat for Frodo and himself in Mordor. So it sounds like some kind of beef jerky. Yeah, it sounds like they have a lot of, like, preserved food because they're out in the wilderness. Well, you have to. And again, that might not be indicative of what men in general ate. These were men on the move who had to have, like, wilderness type. Right, right. And, like, go to Cabela's. Yeah. Apparently on Jerky Fest. Um, We also know that Denethor loved his cherry tomatoes. Oh, really? (laughs) While we see him eat it in the movie. Oh, it's so messy. He's really savoring it. He's eating a chicken in that movie, too. He is also eating a chicken and also doing it in a nasty fashion. Yeah. All right, so what did dwarves eat? Rocks. Meat. Oh, okay. I mean, almost certainly meat. We don't get a lot on what dwarves eat, but we do get this interesting thing about petty dwarves. Remember petty dwarves? Oh, like Nim. Like Nim, and they vanish. They're not around anymore Mm -hmm. by the time of Lord of the Rings. So petty dwarf roots appear in some versions of the story of Turin Turambar. So, for example, in Unfinished Tales and the Children of Hurin. So Turin and the outlaws are sheltered by a petty dwarf called Nim, who gives them roots to cook. Yum and yum. And after they scrub them and cook them, the roots are described as being fleshy and tasting like bread. Mmm, bread tubers. It's almost certain that this was some kind of potato. Oh, there's a potatoes coming back in. So the dwarf is introducing the wonders of potatoes to this man. And the dwarf hates them so much that he refuses to reveal what plant they are from or teach them how to make them themselves. All you gotta do is take a, or an earth, earth bread and you chop it up where the eyes are and you bury them and then you get more. 
he didn't tell uh, he didn't tell Toron and his friends that. Come on, Nim. I mean, maybe you deduced it, but it's potato. I mean, it's a tuber. I mean, you could you know mash it, boil it, mash it, stick it in a stew. Stick it in a stew. I mean, yeah, we know we know hobbits. Think potatoes. about this. Before these guys met Nim, it's possible that like men and elves and well, hobbits didn't exist yet. Yeah. But anyway, nobody was boiling, mashing, and sticking them in a stew. Is it possible that that's imagine? where hobbits came from? Is from taters. <laughs> If that's the case, Nim didn't tell him because he hated them. Oh, dude. And that's what I have. That's what they would have eaten at feasts. I'm all hungry for dried meats and, and yellow wine that smells fragrant. And, and elvish pea. Pea and potatoes. Pea potatoes. The two peas. Pea and potatoes. Very good. Wow. I'm yeah. hungry now. Hopefully you guys can serve some of those at your Thanksgiving meal. Some dried fruits for the road. As well as earth bread. Enjoy. And new loaves. And new loaves. Don't do Don't think- break out those old loaves. Nobody wants those busted old loaves. And fine red cheese. Fine. The ba- the finest baby bell your money can buy. You get a baby bell that's as big as a turkey. It's bad. <laughs> okay. Yummy. I love Baby Bell, but that's overkill. That's a lot of Baby Bell. That's like an adult bell. Mm-hmm. That ain't no baby anymore. No way. That is a grown-ass man bell. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you got? Well, it is Thanksgiving week, and a lot of you are going to be traveling to see your, your families. But what's really more scary than confronting your family members about their, their horrible past? Finding out so something about your relatives that you just could not believe is possible. This is what our story is about today because I am finishing this run of Galaxy of Fear books with the sixth book in the series, Army of Terror. And this is the last one in which Borgamus Gog is this, the villain. And this is where he's going to win and come out on top and... The next six books are just him, like, kicking the lifeless corpses of the children. Yeah, bringing them back to life. And and then killing them again. Out of spite. Turning them into virus blobs and locking them in a nightmare machine. No, this is the sixth book uh, in the Galaxy of Fear series by John Whitman. And, yes, it completes the Borgamus Gog saga, but much more is revealed in this book than the kids could ever plan for. Is there something really horrible about Uncle Hul? Is it, like, worse than what we've discussed previously? We will find out in Army of Terror. Prologue. This one just has Darth Vader getting all jazzed about taking over Project Starscream. Because he's... Gog's, on, Gog's dead. Why? It's Project Starscream is a non-starter, Darth Vader. Well, apparently there's one less stage that he wants to take over. So he orders his scout ships and his Star Destroyer to head directly toward its HQ. Chapter 1. We got Uncle Hul, Tosh, and Zacharanda, their droid DV-9. They're all in the Shroud and they're hiding from an Imperial Star Destroyer. The starship passes over and they're like... Hul's like, I've had enough of this hiding stuff. We gotta go fight Project Starscream... At the source, where it's located, and I know where it is. Oh, he does? Has he known all along? Why didn't he well, do something earlier? Appara- what the hell? Apparently he found data when they were on Nespis 8 in the last book, which is like that Jedi library place. Oh. It said that Gog's lab is on the planet Kiva. Kiva. And he wants to go there and wreck all of Gog's stuff now that he's dead. Because he fell down a shaft in the last book, and he's dead forever, and never's going to come back. DV tells the kids about Kiva. Uh, it was once a thriving society of builders and artists. Before, of course, an imperial base started doing biological experiments under the guidance of a scientist named Mammon. As they did, wait, who the hell is Mammon? It's a new evil scientist. Oh, so more or less evil than Boborgamus Gog. We'll have to find out. So the whole population is wiped out by this Mammon guy, and the kids are already rolling their eyes and sighing, like, oh, geez, Louise, another evil scientist. God, not again. I have to say... Mammon is either a more cool or less cool name than Borgamus Gog. It sounds like an ancient Mesopotamian I think it devil. Might, I think it might be, actually. And so they arrive at a big, dead, gray planet. And who was like, don't worry, this planet is lifeless. 
And Zach's like, oh yeah, DV told us all about Mammon. Uncle Hul snaps at DV for wasting time teaching the kids about dead planets. I mean, he should just be glad that DV's teaching them anything, because we barely heard him but, teach but at all. It's really surprising, because he, he snaps at the kids all the time. Yeah, but he never snaps at DV. His boy DV never gets snapped at. Yeah. So he's getting I bet DV was crushed. He was a little bit sad. They enter orbit and are immediately shot by an ion cannon, which causes the ship's systems to go offline. So if you remember ion cannons, they don't harm living things, but they harm machinery. So like droids and, and ships and stuff. And so all the systems go offline and they're going to crash into this planet. The emergency thrusters kick in at the last minute, but it still doesn't help much because the shroud skips like a stone across the rocky surface. And everyone's banged up a lot, but otherwise they're okay. However, Zack notices something right away and says, Oh no, this is not prime because there's this massive hole in the bottom of their ship now. Um, yeah, dying is not prime. Plus their engines are dead, so they're marooned on Kiva now. They pack up their stuff and start walking across this gray landscape. And the kids notice a bunch of these jagged rock pillars that look like teeth to Zack or to Tosh look kind of like stone people. Ooh. It's kind of queepy. In the right light. That is creepy. The weird shadows. There's no life at all. No plants, no animals, no sounds, nothing. And Tosh keeps thinking she sees moving shadows behind the rocks, but whenever she looks, there's nothing there. It's pretty weird. You look forward, and there's this big tower with an ion cannon on top, and they realize this is a computerized defense system, and they were shot down because of, like, whatever AI still remains here. Oh, does the AI shoot everything down? Apparently. Including their ideas? Yeah. <laughs> everything you do that come up with the air is like, that won't work! Yeah. <laughs> Shooting it down. <laughs> so they head toward it, but suddenly Tosh is grabbed by the wrists. Zach, Hool, and DVC are struggling in the shadows, and then she suddenly disappears. Oh. oh. Mid-sentence. Zach rushes toward her and gets his foot caught in a shadow. How do you get your foot caught in a shadow? It's grabbing him. You have to be such a dumbass. He's pulled into this weird nighttime world where you can see Uncle Hool and DV, and they can't hear them talking. They can't communicate with them. They can see him. Yeah. He can see them, but they're kind of like this, this shadow curtain it's between them. like a them. parallel shadow dimension. Right, right. He feels something brush against his ear and moan directly, Mammon. He sees Tosh moves toward her, and like really hard to move through. It's like really like thick air. Yeah. Right? The voice keeps yelling louder and louder, Mammon, 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 Mammon. And then murderer, 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 murderer! Boy, we get the message. There's thousands of voices swirling around them. And Tosh says, they're angry. Yeah, are they? Tosh, I are mean, they? she is force sensitive. That's a really hard thing to T- tell here. Tosh is the Legolas of this yeah. series. <laughs> she just tells you obvious things. Zack is attacked by this darkness. Something slashes his shirt. And Uncle Hul charges into the darkness to save his kids, transformed into a bantha. But it doesn't do anything. And all the while, the people are shouting, Mammon, murderer! These shadows are shouting at him. He shifts back to his real form and collapses to his knees, muttering, Oh no. Oh no. The shadows around Zack and Tosh take more humanoid forms and swirl around Uncle Hool, yelling the same things at him. Murderer! Mammon! Dark claws clutch at his throat. God, these shadows are so rude. And then a huge energy blast hits the ground around them and causes the shadow creatures to scream and dissipate. They look up and it turns out DV overrode the ion cannon. Nah, why didn't he do that in the first place? Well, he's not affected by these shadow monsters. Oh, so he doesn't give a crap. I love how DV routinely just doesn't care about anything that doesn't affect DV. So two things that are weak to ions generally. Ships and shadows. Ships and shadow monsters, yes. Uncle Hul's kind of weirdly shooken up about it, but as usual gives him no further information onto what's going on. No, why would he? He says we just keep moving toward our goal. And DV theorized that the shadow creatures are the survivors of the experiments that happened on Kiva, and they call all off-worlders Mammon, as that's the last name that's seared into their brain. Interesting. Cool leads into a stone fortress built into a valley. He walks up, punches in the security code, and opens the door. So apparently there's a lot of info on Espus 8 about this place, because he just like... He knows the security code. Yeah, he gets right in. <laughs> this is kind of this winding maze-like structure, but he leads him directly to the center, which is Borgimus Gog's control center. Ooh. 
They open a chamber full of electronic equipment, all connected to a black metal egg-shaped object taller than any of them in the center of the room. And Hool says, it's a birth chamber. Ooh, what is this going to be, some face hugger nonsense? He doesn't tell them anything else. It's a birth chamber. That's all you need to know. What? This is nothing. You told us nothing. He tries to open it with his control panel, but he doesn't know the password anymore. And he says, oh, Gog must have changed it. It used uh, to be password 123. Now it's password 456. Yeah. Zach says, ah, oh, but I can crack that egg and starts shoving random data disks into the egg. Oh, yeah, that's what you do. <laughs> DV points out he how- He just, like, inserts, like, one AOL demo disc yeah, after another. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> just- and DV points out how stupid this is, but for some reason, the third one works. <laughs> oh, okay! And the egg opens to reveal what's inside. <gasps> it's a baby. What kind of baby? A human baby. A human baby? A human baby. That's not scary. No. Who laid it? I don't know. Uncle Who, did you lay this egg? <laughs> So yeah, it's a it's like a baby. It's about looks about a year old. It's wearing coveralls and it smiles. <laughs> it's wearing gosh, gosh, exactly. That's how it describes it. Like the thing babies usually wear. <laughs> That's like, little did you know, all babies are born wearing Oshkosh bagash. And who immediately says, "Don't touch that baby," because you don't know what it is. It's a Gog baby after all. We don't know where this baby came from. Sure. And the baby says, "Epon." It can talk when it's just been born. Ep- can you do a baby voice, Epon? Epon. That's perfect. I'll have to keep doing Epon's voice here. Okay. And the kids decide that must be his name. Oh, yeah. Logically speaking. It's Epon. It's like how when a baby says its first word and its first word is daddy, you're like, oh, that's its name. name it's daddy. Its name is daddy. <laughs> that's how Daddy Two-Foot got his name. That's <laughs> it was his first word. His parents were like, yeah. that's it. So Tosh picks him up and Uncle Hula, of course, is like, I told you, don't touch that baby. And then the door blows open behind them. When the smoke clears, they're expecting to see stormtroopers, but instead they see a Wookiee. Oh, Chewbacca. Chewbacca! And Leia's here, and Luke is here, and Han is here. Oh, my friends, they brought it full circle. And R2, and 3PO, and 10 rebel soldiers are all here as well. Wow, the whole gang. So apparently they've all been investigating Project Starscream. There's a fun little interaction with Luke and and Tosh here. He says, you know, we've been investigating Project Starscream only to find out that you got here first. He winked at Tosh, and she felt the force flow between them. Um, that's puberty, Tosh. I love the, the force flow. <laughs> the force flowing. Force flow is your e-friend, if you remember. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and he says, uh, I knew there was more to you than meets the eye. So what I thought is Project Starscream. More than meets the eye. <laughs> is John Whitman a huge nerd? <laughs> I mean, I think it goes without, he's writing a series of Star Wars novelizations, so I think that it goes without saying that he's a huge nerd. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So Leia begins to tell him all the things they know about Baborgamus Gog and Project Starscream. Who's like, yeah, yeah, I know it all. And by the way, he's dead. And we found an egg with a baby in it, says Tosh, and shows off Epon. And Leia's like, oh, how cute. Leia <laughs> doesn't even give a shit. She's loving this baby. Everyone's like, like, oh, look at his little overalls. Look at his little bib overalls. Yeah, Luke's like pinching his cheeks. This baby's so cute. R2 lets Leia know that any records of Project Starscream have been deleted from Gog's computers, so there's like nothing on here. Well, let's get out of here before trouble finds us, says Luke. What trouble's gonna find us here, says Han, again continuing the streak of kid Star Wars writers making Han a total doofus. Because <laughs> always, always, always. He never comes across as cool. He either no. comes across as like cranky or just an idiot. Right. So the OT crew and the Randa family march back across Kiva, and this time with baby Epon in tow. Hula's grumbling about how they'll have to take care of a baby and like how we're we gonna do this? We don't have a ship anymore. Like this sucks. <laughs> yeah. I don't want this baby. And Luke's like, all he needs is a little bit of attention. And Tasha's like, he's an orphan like us. And Zach says, he's part of the family now. Well, you kids, like, don't get that attached that quickly. But they're tired of carrying him, so they hand him off to a soldier <laughs> named Rax. Wow, we love this baby. Here, hold this baby. I'm sick of this baby. <laughs> the squad approaches a forest of those stone pillars that were shaped like teeth or people. They're too thick to traverse as a large group, so Hul turns into a snake to kind of scout it out for them. Sure. He gets to the other side and waves them. It's okay, it's cool, get through here. And everyone comes through, except for Rax. 
The soldier they put Epon with. Well, good thing they left him with that guy. They hear a scream from the stone pillars, and they rush back to see where he is. And all they find is Epon crying on the ground. He's got a bruise on his arm, poor little baby, and a pile of Rax's stuff. That baby murdered him. No way! That baby's baby. not fooling me. His little bib overalls are not fooling me. That baby's a murderer. So, but Rax is gone. He's disappeared. Yeah, and the baby made him disappear. The baby disappeared him. He's like the Pinochet of babies. Epon's just a baby. He could never do that. Leia says, maybe it was those shadow creatures you guys mentioned. And who's like, yeah, maybe. But let's keep moving so we don't lose anyone else. We gotta go. We gotta get out of here. As they walk, Tash hands Epon over to Zack. And he's like, has this kid gotten heavier? He feels heavier to me. And oh, Tash don't. is like, nah, you're just tired. Don't worry about it. Uh, Tash and Luke have a nice chat about the Force when Chewie starts roaring and blaster fire fills the air. Because who's arrived but stormtroopers? Led by Darth Vader. They're all firing at him. He uses his famous glove to divert all the blaster bolts away from him. Leia has the wise idea. Maybe we shoot these rocks. They'll collapse in front of Vader. Cause an obstacle. Okay, good. And it works. It's amazing. So they have a few minutes. So they send the soldiers to escort the Arandas back to the ship. And Hul says, we're leaving. Where's the baby? And Zach says, oh, I put him behind this rock when the blaster started firing. And look to find where he is. And he's a little boy now. Whoa! It's like, uh, okay, I know we already mentioned Twilight once today, yeah. but it's like Renesmee. It's like Renesmee, the beautiful child. They keep CGing like an older child's face onto this younger child, so and bad. the effect is disgusting. Yeah, he's like three years old now. He's also saying Epon. Do so his overalls still fit him? Or no, they're, is, kind of, they're kind of his, stretched now. His overalls also aging with him. So can you give us a three-year-old Epon? Epon! Pretty good. They pick him up and rush toward the soldiers. Tasha noticed that the shadow race are behind them, and Uncle Hul's like, yeah, they've been following us the whole time. Okay, once again, thank you for informing us. And soon they're surrounded with wails of murderer, mammon, killer, 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 all these voices at once, shouting at him. The soldiers try to shoot, but it's no use. One throws a thermal detonator, it's also no use. Use a freaking ion weapon, says Zack. Always, because everything's weak to ions. They do, and it works. And they're firing rapidly at this ion cannon. This, the wraiths are screaming. And Hul suddenly demands they stop hurting the wraiths. The rebels keep firing, destroying all but one. Whoa. It takes a weak physical form and speaks to them through a strained voice. Say, murderer. Tosh asks, what's their deal is? Why are you trying to kill us? And the wraith says, we seek revenge against the one who made us this way. Not you, child, but him. And he points directly at Uncle Hool. Uncle Hool made shadow people? The kids are shocked. Uncle Hool? Yeah, he always seems like such an upfront, trustworthy guy. I There's mean, gotta be some mistake, right? He'd be into something shady. Yeah, must be. And instead of speaking to the Wraith, Hool simply turns around and walks away into the stone pillars. So DV, Zack, Tosh, and a soldier named Meeks. Again, the great names in this Meeks. book. They look for Uncle Hool and leave the other three soldiers with Epon and the Ion Cannon to keep him safe. But they can't find him, even after half an hour of searching. Where he at? Uncle Hool's gone. What's up with him? He's been acting weird this whole adventure, too. Like, he's been snapping at DV. Like, what's going on? He just needs some time alone. Then they hear blaster fire back from the camp and the screams of the soldiers. And they rush back, and all they find are piles of their stuff. And Epon's toddling around by himself, just him with a bruise on his forehead. He murdered them. Epon murdered them. He's crying again. He's sad about it, but... Well, yeah, great. You, you I mean, if a serial killer cries after murdering 60 people... Come on. Who do you think is here? Uh, Danic Jericho? I don't think so. This, this is a baby. Is, <laughs> baby Danic Jericho. Oh, it could be. That'd be crazy, right? It could be a baby Chris Jericho. That's even worse. <laughs> isn't that a wrestler? He's gonna put you in like a... <laughs> he's gonna do... Well, I know the people's elbow isn't his move, but he's yeah. gonna do it. Whatever. That's the only wrestling move I know. They decide to continue without Hool so they can go back to the ships and scan for his presence because that's probably a lot easier. And it's Deevee's turn to carry Epon this time. They walk for like an hour and Deevee collapses suddenly and Epon falls out of his bag. Now he's like five years old. 
Wow. And his clothes like don't fit him anymore. So Growing one, like weeds. So Meek's the rebel soldier kind of uses some of his fatigues to make him kind of this little like loincloth kind of thing. Okay. Little cool. diaper for him. He's still suddenly saying Epon. Can we get a five year old Epon? Epon. Good. And he's heavier than ever, but he's walking at least, so he can carry himself. That's good. The reach the ships, no one's around. There's supposed to be technicians here working, but it's it's abandoned. There's no one here. Millennium Falcon's here along with some cargo ships. The kids, Epon and Dee, wait in the Millennium Falcon while Meeks scouts out the surrounding area, see where his soldiers went. And after 10 minutes of waiting, Epon suddenly scampers to the exit faster than any five-year-old could ever run. Super weird. So he's like wind sprinting? Yeah, he's like super fast. He's like the evil Terminator in Terminator 2. <laughs> Those arm blades, yeah. He runs into the shadow of the ship and they lose sight of him. Tash and Zach are so focused on Epon, they don't even notice the shadow growing and enveloping them. And suddenly everything goes black. Zack awakens in complete darkness. Where am I? He mutters. In the heart of our misery, says a thousand whispering voices. God, they're so dramatic. He feels the race moving all around him. He finds Tosh in the darkness, and both of them are alone in this dark space. Tosh offers to help, and they say, how can you help? Do you know what it's like to lose your entire world? Well, yeah, mine was blown up, so kind of. Yeah, Alderaan, you heard of it? Right? Basically, I don't know if they've heard of it. I yeah. don't know if they keep up on current events. The race seem to respect this, but... <laughs> respect you. But point out that you are a child of Mammon, the murderer. They hear a voice say, they're talking about me. And they look, and it's Uncle Hul. Hul begins to tell his story as the wraiths swirl around him in anger. He first says that his name is Mammon. His Mammon first name, Hul. His first name is Mammon. He became a genetic scientist to not just clone things, but to create new life. The Empire funded him and another scientist to begin their experiments. He didn't know at the time how evil the Emperor was until it was too late, but, you know, that's how it goes. He helped build this lab on Kiva for Hul and his partner to do research. Sure. On life and how to create it and stuff. But in doing so, they accidentally let loose a blast of energy that wiped out every living thing on the planet. <laughs> Whoopsie! They tried to broadcast a warning to the people, but only he and his partner were able to escape. His partner, of course, was Barborgamus Gog. Oh. My. Gog. What a- yeah, oh my god. What, what a twist. What a twist. Tosh flips out at this. She says, you worked with Gog? You turned a planet into vengeful ghosts? You're just as bad as what the Empire did to Alderaan, Uncle Hool. And Zack chimes in, you only took a thing because you felt guilty about your own crimes. You're not prime, Uncle Hool. Hool says nothing. The race say Hool will be punished. He will be forced to stand and listen to each agonized voice of the thousands upon thousands of lives he destroyed. And once he understands the misery he has caused, he will be finally executed. That's pretty effective, actually. I think it's pretty good punishment, right? Yeah. We should do that to, like, real world killers. Yeah. Tosh and Zack are pulled back into the light and they find themselves next to the Falcon, out of that shadow realm. They see a huge dome of shadows covering the valley beyond. And the kids aren't sure they actually want to save Uncle Hul because he's practically a mass murderer. Yeah, screw that guy. Right? It's like, would you save Hitler if he was your uncle? They no. find DV and Epon. And Epon's now a teenage boy taller than Zack. <laughs> Holy cow. He's like dribbling a basketball that came <laughs> from nowhere. <laughs> and he's still only saying Epon. Can we get a teenage boy Epon? Epon! It should be like, Epon! <laughs> no, because he's, no, he's, he's a mask. Okay. He's a mask. Okay, he's masculine. Epon! And the bruise in his head spreading down his face, which is really weird and off-putting. So the kids tell Deavy about Hul's story, and he says he had a hunch, because Arctic 2 found files at the base that talked about two Shido scientists wiping out Kiva. But there's more to the story, he says, before being interrupted by Han Solo on the comms. He says, guys, watch out, Vader's coming for you! You gotta leave one of the cargo ships! So the kids rush over to the cargo ship. Before they're about to take off, a blaster bolt from behind hits the control board. Oh, shh. Stormtroopers, right? Yeah, you'd think. <gasps> but I bet it's Hul. No, it's Barborgamus Gog. Oh, crap. It's him. He looks terrible. But he's back, baby. 
Gog is back. If he's a shapeshifter, couldn't he make himself look better? Couldn't he like just shapeshift into a better looking version that's of himself? That's a good question. I think. Why does he look terrible? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Shapeshift into somebody who looks like they've been sleeping properly. Well, next time I see him, I'll ask him. Okay. okay. And Zach's like, "You're dead." And Gog's like, "Nope." Keep shooting the view screens and blowing up the ship in the inside here, so they can't take off. Tosh's like, "How do you follow us here?" And he's like, "Me follow you? I was merely returning home to my projects, the last of my precious plans. But you've stolen that too, Epon, my boy. Come to me." Is Epon his son? And the weird teen hurries to his side and crouches like a dog. Ew. Some Ew. weird subdom. Gog's like, "Behold, my ultimate weapon, the first member of my army of terror." Why is he crouching like a dog, though? He's, like, subservient to Gog. Ooh, I don't like it. Tash and Zack exchange a glance. This is some kinky stuff. Epon. Well, first of all, yeah, weird. Yeah. You made it so weird Why does Gog Epon? have a pet team? This is weird. <laughs> That's the worst kind of pet. Second. It eats the most. It smells the most. He's been saying Epon the whole time. He was trying to say weapon. That's what Gog's been calling him. Weapon? He's a weapon. Real creative, dude. So, Gog is so on the nose all the time, it drives me bananas. Like crap. The stormtroopers show up and they shoot at the ship, and Darth Vader's in front. And no, 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 cries Gog, and he dashes away with Epon in tow. But Vader catches them on the way out, and the kids see him outside talking to Vader. Vader demands that Gog give him the boy now. Gog returns, no, he's mine, my weapon! And so Vader starts force choking him, and orders yeah. his soldiers to capture him and Epon. Defend me, wheezes Gog. Epon leaps onto a stormtrooper and... As he touches him, the stormtrooper turns into jelly. I told you! His armor collapses to the ground. I told you this kid was a murderer. And he absorbs the jelly into his body. Ew. And the kids gag at the sight. Epon jumps to another stormtrooper, jelly eyes him, and begins to grow. And as he grows, the, that blotch on his face spreads to his entire body. And he grows thick veins and purple scales, along with huge muscle arms ending in chitinous claws. Sounds like pretty typical puberty. Yeah, I mean, we all gone through this before. But can you imagine if real world teens could, like, turn you into jelly when they were mad at you? And slurp you up? Slurp you up. With a wet sound? Yeah. Ew. Epon throws stormtroopers at Vader to slow him down, and he takes off with Gog under his arm. And Vader's like, you've just signed your death warrant, Gog. And the kids are still hiding on the ship. I'm like, oh, good, he hasn't noticed us yet. And Vader's like, catch that man. Get him in that monster back in my ship. But first, bring me those kids in the droid. And he points directly at the cargo. Ooh. Because like, oh, crap. First priority, these tweens. So the next chapter begins with Vader holding his lightsaber to Zack's throat and asking him, Don't. do you know what this can do to human flesh? Oh, I can kind of guess, Vader. Yeah, and he's like, then you'll talk. Can it cut it, Vader? Is that what it can do to human flesh? It, 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 can, it cut can cut it. It, it can is cut that, it good. Is that, am I way off base here? But, so the, Tosh and Zack, of course, spill the beans entirely. Also, they don't really trust Hool, so, right. like, selling them down river. I mean, Vader, really Hool, like, who really gives a crap? Who's the lesser too evil here, right? They tell him everything, and Vader kind of knows it all already. The only thing they don't tell him is about Tasha's growing force sensitivity. Probably a good idea, Vader says, oh, these kids don't know enough. We have to get the uncle. We'll know what he's talking about. And they leave the kids on the ship with stormtroopers guarding the exit. What do you mean they don't know enough? She can tell that malevolent spirits swirling around screaming murderer are angry. Yeah, she's really insightful she's later. Come on. super empath. Yeah, she's like a blue type personality, whatever it is. She's a, an indigo child? Yeah, yeah. Blue type personality. To be fair, like, it's no more or less stupid than indigo child. Yes. So, DB has it rough too. They tortured him as well. He, they busted his left arm and his leg servos barely function now. And while Zach's repairing him, they're still thinking about Uncle Hool for some reason. Even though, like, he's kind of a monster. Can't right? get you out of my head, Hool. I wish but, I could quit you, Hool. But DV takes the time to tell them the other side of Uncle Hool's story. Turns out Gog knew that the experiments would harm the people of Kiva. 
and convinced Hul that they were completely safe. Told Hul that there was no problem, something bad would happen to these people. Hul was misled. Yes. The Empire covered up the disaster, and Hul left, disgusted by both himself and the Empire. But Gog stayed on their payroll, working on Project Starscream and destroying Hul's reputation in the process. Which is why Hul gave up his first name, because the Empire blamed the entire incident on a scientist named Mammon. Why did they just use his first name? It's like if the police were like, we know who was responsible for the Oklahoma City bombing. It was Tim. Tim! <laughs> so they told yeah. Tim. We gotta find Tim. Tim has been arrested and taken into custody. The world is once again safe from Tim. This is women, this is guy who's made women into lampshades. His name is Ed. Yeah. Look out for Ed. <laughs> Ed. Look out. Be on the lookout for Ed. Bye. This guy's serial, his name is Jeffrey. <laughs> like that's so weird that they just use his first name. It's weird, right? Of course now the kids feel really bad because they made Uncle Hul feel like a war criminal and really he was just I mean, he is sort of a war criminal, but, like, accidentally. He's trying to make amends for his past this whole yeah. time, right? And Gog is the one to blame. And now the race are going to execute him. How does a ghost execute someone? Well, we got to find out, right? Okay. we got to rescue Uncle Hul, there's talking about. But the, the whole ship's surrounded by Imperial soldiers. And so Zack hatches a madcap plan to fly over to him in the Millennium Falcon. Zack can fly the Millennium Falcon? He thinks he can. Okay. Uh, well, he has played a lot of video games. Yeah, he's, he's played the Hollow games. You know, he knows what's going on. So first, Tosh tries to send thoughts into the Stormtroopers' heads to create a distraction. She kind of overdoes it because two of these guys start in a massive fist fight. <laughs> what? Uh, which buys them enough time for the kids to rush over to the Millennium Falcon with DV before they can get caught. They blast into the sky as Vader and his boys close in. They head toward that huge dome shadow, which DV calculates is only about 10 minutes on foot from where they were before. Okay. So, like, not a lot of time. Okay, not a ton. <laughs> the valley's full of shadows. And as they go through it, kind of wading through this darkness, they find Al-Gahul spread out with a wraith above him about to crush his head with a huge rock. No, says Tosh, you can't kill him. Uncle Hul's like, don't bother. I've lived with the guilt for years. And Tosh's like, no, Unky, it was Gog. He knew it was dangerous, but didn't tell you. Race, Uncle Hul isn't to blame. Get Gog instead. And they're like, no, Mammon must die. And he brings the rock down to smash Uncle Hul's head. But Uncle Hul isn't there. He shifted into a rat at the last minute. Good. Good thinking, Uncle Hul. There's a lot of times when... He could get out of things by shifting, and he just, like, conveniently forgets to shift. Right, yeah, I know. It's, it's kind of a thing that he should do all the time, right? Like, he should be, always be a different animal. Like, why not? Like, it's right. awesome. Like, and they wouldn't recognize him. Like, if he's trying to hide from someone, why yeah. would he not just shift into, like, a toad or something? Right. Anyway, Tosh tells him that Gog is still alive, and he's here on Kiva, and Epon is a monster now. So he's like, we gotta go get him. But the race stopped him on the way. They say, no escape, no escape, no escape, no escape! Um, get the idea! Then a bright flash of light goes off, and the wraiths scatter. And Zack has a device in his hand. It's a thermal detonator that he rigged up with an ion burst minus the usual explosion. So it's just a big flash of so light. So it's an ion detonator. Yeah. So it's like, so it's like a flash cube. Yeah, it's a flashbang, right? It's a thermal detonator, except it's a flash cube. And who's like, good job for once, uh, Zack. <laughs> you uh, little loser. Take me to the lab. Let's go. So they take the Falcon there, and surprisingly, who's fine with the kids driving? Oh, okay. Yeah. Some bumpy landings, but they get there okay. They make their way to the control center. And Hul's like, we've got to find any information about how to destroy Gog's baby monster. And they hear a voice say, let me save you the trouble, as Gog swivels around originally in his evil control chair. What a Ooh, cool, wow! What a cool guy, right? Baba Borgamas, how many James Bond movies have yeah. you watched? Who says, give me the monster. Certainly, says Gog, he's right behind you. <sighs> and yup, it's Epon. He's now a two meter tall, purple toothy claw monster. Whoa! And they grow up so fast. Pulls into a Wookiee and clashes with Epon. And for some reason, Epon can't turn him into jelly. It can't absorb him. 
I bet. I bet, I bet Bob Rogermus Gog programmed it in so that that species cannot be turned into Right, right. His like, new creation couldn't eat him. Right? Like, I don't know why, that, like, how that would be accomplished or why that makes sense, but that's probably what it is. So Cool can't get absorbed, but Epon can knock him around, and he smacks him into the wall, and he falls out of his Wookiee form back into his regular form. Epon's flesh begins to crawl and slither over Hool. Ew. Like, Red flag touches. Pretty gross, right? Then an incredible force throws Epon against the wall. And who's there? Darth Vader. <gasps> Dog starts shrieking, Kill Vader! Kill Vader! Epon tries to tackle Vader, but Vader tosses him into the egg chamber and ignites his lightsaber. Who quietly tells the kid, We gotta run. Uh, but Vader slams a heavy door shut with the force. He's like, When I'm done with this creature, I will deal with you. Vader chops off Epon's arm. Jesus! But a new one grows He's quickly in his place. He shouldn't have done that. He's just a boy. He's just a boy. Zack bangs on that slam shut door. And Solo's on the other side. And he says, we're going to blow this open. Get back. Vader throws Epon at Gog's command chair, which knocks him over. And then boom, the rebels explode the door open. The walls of the lab begin to buckle and collapse. Whoa. That was a load-bearing door. It was a load-bearing door. <laughs> they could never open it. It was a load-bearing door. And the ceiling starts collapsing and it traps Vader in the egg chamber. Gog gets up groggy next to Epon. He says, he won't help you. You're still doomed. Not if we can help it, says Leia, as she rushes in with the rebel troopers. You know, blasted the crap out of him. Shoot, 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 bang, 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 pew, pew, pew. And they take him down. Good. He falls to the ground. For real, though? One of the soldiers goes over to check on him and kind of kicks him with his boot. And then he's grabbed by the throat. Of course he of is. Of course. Of course he is. Slurp! He's a jelly man. Gets slurped up by Epon, and now he's stronger than ever. Tosh puts it together that he has all the parts of the previous Project Starscream bits. So he swallows things like those plague blobs oh. with his flesh. He grows stronger like Devourin every time he eats. He can't be killed like the zombies of Necropolis. Then his red eyes flash and the rebels start having horrific hallucinations of their greatest fears. Just like the Nightmare Machine. So like the first five phases of the plan were basically proof of concept for each element that they were going to put in Epon. Yes. But they all failed. But so they're all, all th- five failed tastes that taste great together. They're all, t- I mean, t- they're working pretty good here. I mean, they are, that's true. Everyone's affected except for the kids and DV. And Tosh also puts together that Gog, he controlled all these other things. He controlled life and death, but he still can't control the Force. That Jedi Library thing did not work out for him. Yikes. So as Epon rises up to strike her with his claws, she reaches out to his mind with the Force and reminds him of when they played together when he was a baby. How nice he was. How nice we all were together. We were friends, Epon. And you have good in you. I know you do. <laughs> Does he, though? Well, Epon- do any babies... Can babies really be said to have good in them? Or evil? They're just kind of, like, mindless. They're just mindless eating machines. They are precious gifts of God, okay? Epon actually stops his attack. And Dog's like, No! Destroy her! Tosh feels the connection to Epon weakening as he turns to attack her again. Then another concentrates along with her. It's Luke! Gog's like, kill both of them now! But instead, Epon turns his attack on Gog. Ha-ha. He rears up the strike, and Zack's like, get it! Get him! All the powers of science are powerless against taking care of a baby for like two hours. Before he can attack, Gog pulls out this device and presses a button on it, and Epon's head explodes. Oh my god! <laughs> but he's gonna grow a new one. Nope, he disintegrates before their eyes. Oh, he's, like he's dead. His body just kind of gets smaller and smaller and more shriveled. And my bugs, my bugs, my And guy's like, what did you think would happen? I've learned from my mistakes, especially when they create an invincible army of terror. Like, I'm not going to let them just, like, run amok and... Duh. Come on. Just then, the wraiths make it in. They swarm the control room, still calling for Mammon Hool's death. 
They hold down the rebels and the kids as they slash at Mammon's chest, making blood spurt from his body. Dee Dee pushes through the shadows to the control console to display an old recording of Gog on the display screens. And here's Gog's message. He says, Your Excellency, I have completed the final arrangements of the experiments here on Kiva. As we suspected, our experiment was a failure. It will not create life, but it will destroy it. I plan to let the test go forward. I suspect that the results should be quite devastating and will provide you with a useful weapon. The room is silence. All those ghosts are like, Bitch! And they start murmuring to themselves, one at, one at first, then many. Gog, 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 And they're shouting. Gog's like, no, it wasn't me, it was who? Not me, it was him! The race consume Gog entirely, shouting his name over his screams of agony. The shadows collapse till nothing remains, and only then does the screaming stop. Epilogue. Everyone recovers. They're doing okay now. They say, this is the last of Gog. We dodge the bullet there. And Epon too. Thank goodness. Almost as soon as they leave in the Millennium Falcon, Darth Vader finally lightsabers his way out of the egg chamber. And he says, well, at least they killed Gog. And they killed the army of terror too, but nothing stronger than the Force. I'll catch those rebels eventually. Dark thoughts filled Vader's mind as he strode away, leaving only the dry, sad wind of Kiva to sweep through the ruined laboratory. The wind whispered around the room, swirling in the corners, swirling around Epon's body. Maybe it was the wind blowing across the dead planet. Maybe not. But a moment later, one of Epon's fingers twitched. I knew it! I knew it! I knew somebody wasn't dead! He's just gonna grow a new head! He's gonna grow a new head! But that's the end of our Barborgmus... He's gonna grow some more Oshkosh Barborgmus Gog saga. Wow! And that will rest those terrible tales until next Halloween, perhaps. <laughs> I wonder who the new baddie's gonna be. I mean, this is quite a sea change, because now they know who Hul is. They know yeah. his first name. They know, like, what he stands for. Well, and yeah, wait for next spooky October and you'll find out. Right. Ooh, I hope we'll be doing this till next October. With an, with an attitude like that, we will. Okay. <laughs> you said you hoped. I did say I hoped. Full of I knew you almost said we won't, and then you changed at the last minute. I could tell. It's called it's called humor. It's called zigging when you expect me to zag. Oh, is that what humor is? It's like when you do something unexpected. I, I looked like it up random. in the dictionary, but I didn't quite get it. You probably looked it up and saw a picture of me, because I'm super funny. Yeah, I did. Okay. Well, we are moving on to our last segment of the show, which is, as usual... The worst, the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst name challenge. It was pretty close this week. Gotta say. It was about 60-40. It was a nail-biter. Between Whore and Daddy Two-Foot. But in the end, Whore managed to beat out Daddy Two-Foot. I feel like Daddy Two-Foot is like like a sillier, more whimsical name. But Whore is just so bad. Whore is, whore is just really bad. Like legitimately a bad name. Yeah. Do you bring a new challenger to the worst name arena this day? <laughs> yes, I did, Ryan. I'm glad you asked. Is it going to stand up to the power that is whore? I can't say for sure, but it makes me laugh. Okay. It's... Ugg Slap. Ugg Slap. Ugg Slap. Now, it's all one name. This is actually the name of an orc from the Hobbit video game. Okay. But I think it's funnier if you imagine it as two names. Like, first name Ugg, last name Slap. <laughs> you know, of, of the of the Mordor Slaps. Yeah, of the Mordor Slaps. Yeah. It occurs to me that if you have anybody with the last name Slap, it is inherently funny. Like, imagine meeting a guy called Richard Slap. Oh, I love it. That would be so well, good. Well, it would be Dick Slap. <laughs> Dick Slap. So that's why I like, that would be the funniest thing I'd ever heard in my Let's life. Let's see. Jeff Slap. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Jeff Slap is pretty funny. Uh, Jerry Slap. <laughs> Jerry Slap. Um, like, like, there's nothing. Bart Slap. <laughs> you're, you're killing me. You're Jenny killing Slap. Me. Uh, <laughs> just anyone with a, 
I think you found my very specific style of humor, which is people with the normal first name and the last name Slap. So Ugg Slap. I think I'll put it in the in the vote as Ugg Space Slap. Okay. It's technically not, but it's funnier that way. Well, so. Orcs deserve to have a surname. You know, they deserve to have some family lineage of the Slap family. Sure, why not? The, U- the proud and noble Slap lineage. Ugg Slap. So Ugg Slap will be going up against reigning champion Whore. So go to the polls. Go to our Facebook. Go to our Twitter. Tell us which name is worse. Is it Whore or is it Ugg Slap? They're both really bad. You can also visit us at whatslightsabersprecious.com. I need to update it with the latest episodes because I've been kind of crazy busy. But, you know, this is like a side gig for us. So. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You can email us whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com. Rate us up on Apple Podcasts or on SoundCloud. And listen to us there as well. Tell a friend. Tell a friend if they're in England. Say, oh, get on that bloody Netflix. Watch them Lord of the Wings. Listen to this bloody podcast. Why don't you? I would say. Cheeky little chav you. I would say don't only tell a friend. Tell an unfriend. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, tell your worst enemy. Tell your worst enemy about the show. Because they say kill your enemy with kindness. And there's nothing kinder than getting someone to listen to our show. Yeah. All right, so next week is going to be kind of a special episode. It's our one year of doing podcasts. Wow, has it really been one year already? Yeah, dude. Dude. So we're going to do something kind of special. Going to have guests, going to have fun, going to have all kinds of kooky stuff. So look forward to that. Yeah, we will see you next week. Bye, Hoblox. Bye, bits. Bye.